Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlos, as well as welcome to 2018. I'm Kelly. Good morning, I'm Karen. Karen, I'm excited about the topic that again you've brainstormed because you bring all the ideas to the floor here. Uh, you are introducing the concept, not to the world, but to our viewers, of the idea of marital PTSD. And I think it's awesome because we've just come off a week of breaking bad patterns with Sips of Sanity which is our smaller or shorter, I should say, podcast that we have on the website. So that might be a good start, a good space to kind of prime yourself for today's show to understand where some bad patterns have lived and then to be listening to what you're doing, recapping one of your sessions to talk about marital PTSD. For those of you that don't understand what PTSD stands for, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. So if you're looking that up on Google search or on the internet in any way, you can check out either PTSD or the long term for it. I don't know that listeners are actually going to find a whole lot of information about marital PTSD. It's a, it's a phrase that has come to my attention through one particular man who passed over. He came through because his son showed up one day. His son booked an appointment with me, and I'd say the son was, I'd say, mid-30s to early 40s. The dad passed away maybe two weeks prior, so this is pretty fresh for this middle-aged man. Should I say middle-aged, Kelly, if he's in his late 30s and early 40s? Please don't. <laughs> Listeners may not appreciate that. <laughs> okay. He booked an appointment. And the very first thing he said to me was that he's a skeptic, that he's a non-believer, that he's atheist, that he had no intention of ever seeing anybody like me in his life, that he had no belief system in any of this whatsoever. And what brought him was grief, that he had asked a few people around where we live here in North Bay, if anybody could help him, and being a non-believer, he was reluctant to make his appointment. His wife made it for him. He brought up my name to his wife, and she had heard about us, and that we communicate to the spirit world. So he came with the belief, or the idea, or a little bit of openness, that through his pain and his hurting and missing his dad and needing some closure and some questions answered, that he was willing to at least come and see what could come of an hour. I really like that idea. So as we were sitting in the treatment room, he was just visibly shaking, anxiety, breathing irregularly, and just asked me to go ahead and begin. Gave consent to everything, but was focused on, could I in fact reach his dad? After his dad gave a whole lot of information to him about how he died, cancer, where in the body, all over his upper back. And then it went down into the low groin area. And I knew that because I was feeling it in my own body. And that's our synesthesia. That played out for him in the treatment room. He got comfortable enough with me that he started to ask his dad questions. And that took probably 20 minutes of his hour where he had enough information to feel comfortable and to feel that his dad was actually present. So once at the beginning of the session, facts came through. What did dad look like? How did he die? Specific things about the funeral. 
specific things. As you know, we've gone through this in other sessions where people need their proof first. After we moved through that part of the session, his dad said to him, your mom was a bully. This isn't a term that I would use to describe anybody on earth because I didn't know the term, but she was narcissistic in that she could swing from being a people pleaser to getting her needs met, to swinging her needs back out to all outright bullying. She was oppositionally defiant, so she had some ODD, oppositional defiance disorder problems, and that the dad came through to simply say to his son, I'd like to describe my marriage to you. I would like for you to know that I was a people pleaser, that I enabled your mom in participating and staying in her narcissism. The dad gave specific examples to his son that went right back into the early stages of his childhood that he could remember where he didn't stand up for him. He didn't have his son's back. He let the mom get away with bullying the children. And he apologized to his son for not coping with and breaking his own pattern of being the enabler. So for staying true to our game, it's now been under seven minutes, and I'm going to mention Susan Forward's name, and bring you back to toxic parents. Because this is a specific kind of toxic parent where they are passive in letting the abuse happen. That's really well said, because quite often when we're the passive ones, we think that we're the better parent. We think we're the kinder one. We think we're the one that's going to save the children because we better stay in the marriage or the abusive parent will just get away with their shit all the time. But we don't really do anything constructive or productive in the relationship. We stay quiet or we stand up a little bit. We fight a little but if we really get beaten down by the partner, eventually we got to smooth things over because we know we, we know someone's going to have to pay for this mess. It's difficult, too, for the children after the fact, whether they're true children or now adult children, to really understand why they have so much rage toward the passive parent. It's easy to be angry with the overt bully. It's very, very confusing to understand the underlying rage at the person who just didn't say anything. Well, that's, that's really well said because he didn't get it. He's angry with his mother, who's alive, who he now still has to deal with. The dad, who was the enabler, who was the kinder, softer, more gentle spirit and character, is the one that went and up and left. So he feels angry that so-called the nicer parent or, the, or the, the good parent, I don't know the right words for all of that, the one that he felt more loved by, he has been abandoned by. It's the ultimate abandonment now. So there were minor issues of feeling abandoned. And I say minor because I'm relating it to death. All the way through his life where his dad had an opportunity to be more present for him. Where his dad chose not to. And let the mom abuse, get away with something, be mean. And then swing it with being super nice, super kind, great cooking, going to, to watch him play his games, going to the school events, doing, doing wonderful little things. But how much confusion is there in that with the mom? And then add on to that the confusion by the dad that enables this. 
And then he's the one that dies. So his adult son, who's now, like I said, late 30s, early 40s, feels really, really hurt and betrayed by his dad that he's the good parent and you're the one that left me with her. You didn't give me any tools to learn to cope with this woman. And then you left. You found peace and you left me in this mess. And now every time I go over there, and here's your PTSD, I have to relive all of this trauma over and over again. But now the dad's not even around to, to execute his contract or his part in the relationship. So this adult son is grieving a dad and angry with a dad and his mother. So it's all compounded at the death. I think every podcast I point out something where I say, this is really neat. And the thing I want to focus on just in this moment is your rage that comes across when you're speaking, Karen. Because I I tape these shows, but I also do the editing. And oftentimes when I hear your inflections go up and down, I get very nervous because of what it does to the program, but also what it might do to the volume for listeners. And I think, I think I've never been more happy to hear rage than right now because people need to hear it. They need to understand that we can be enraged for others as much as ourselves because it's an experience we're all having. Yeah, and during the session, because of the synesthesia, I feel the rage of the sun sitting in front of me. And I think I'm also feeling the rage of the dad who's now trying to say to his son, because I'm dead, I'm now learning. Because I've passed over and I have the spirit world to help me, now I'm actually doing my work. Now I'm actually seeing what this did to me and what it did to the children. So the PTSD that the dad feels that he can now see from the marriage and the, I think this man was married for about 60 years. So this is 60, 62 years, I think it was, that he went through this PTSD on a daily basis and then enabled and watched his wife create PTSD for all of the children. Okay, yes, and I'm in agreement with everything that you're saying, but I wanted to equate this on a larger scale for people who might not be able to relate to it on a marital level or on a parental level. Because there's a global PTSD that's happening with the same kind of bully that is passive, where things are trying to be brought to light in mainstream media, finally, and we're understanding how many people have been passive, which has allowed so much abuse to continue. And so there is an underlying rage that's occurring in every single person, and we don't know what to do with it. We don't know where to place it. We don't know how to behave. We don't know how to talk about it. We don't even know how to reflect on it. Yeah, it's, it's a, a very good parallel because it's true. Each of us is going through this on a very global level. This dad came through to, first of all, put it to words. As you said, we're struggling to put it to words right now. And he chose to do this for his son. His son said to me, I wasn't expecting this. My dad didn't even know these terms. He didn't even understand what narcissism was. My dad wasn't a reader. He didn't educate himself. He watched TV. He did this and he did that. He read the newspaper. 
but he didn't actually educate himself. And, and I want to point out what a tremendous injury we create in our own lives when we choose to stick our heads up our asses instead of into a book. Instead of to research on the internet, you know, fun things instead of actually educational things. Because they're both equally available. And some people might say this is a person of an older generation. He's, you know, in his 80s. And that they didn't do that. And that's not fair. We've had Susan Forward on and Patricia Evans and all kinds of people of all different ages in their 70s and 80s that have bothered to educate themselves all during their lives. So this isn't about age or generation. This is a matter of what choices are in our lives. And because of a choice that we make, say not to educate ourselves, the effect that it has on our own life, but also the effect that it has on the people around us. This might be a far stretch, but I spent the New Year's uh, in Ottawa and my partner and I took a specific trip to the War Museum. And we spent a good three hours just going through and looking at all the different exhibits and really reading on what people have experienced in, in war. And I bring this up on purpose because this really caught my attention and I actually took a picture. I didn't want to send it to you because I didn't want to upset you without context. But it, I think it applies in this situation. In one of the monuments at the War Museum, they were talking about internment camps and whoever wrote the summary for this specific one, wrote down some 107 internees died in confinement. Many others suffered from ill health and shattered spirits. And I thought how incredibly reflective, how incredibly thoughtful of the human soul that they were, not just of the body count in this situation, but to think to mention a broken or shattered spirit, that that had as much effect that it mattered as much as a physical death that they put it up in the National War Museum in written word for people to look at and actually remember that it is to be considered. Well this dad came through to honor his own human spirit and what it went through at the hands of his partner, his marital partner, the person who said I will love you till death do us part somewhere in a legal or religious proceeding or ceremony of sorts, and then turned that into 60 years of abuse. And the dad came through to honor his son's spirit that day to say, and this is what I have left you to deal with. I didn't get any of my own tools, so therefore I could never pass any of them on to you, other than the one tool to people, please. It's not much. It's just, remember we said in one of the other shows, Kelly, it's like saying I'm going to build a house with a hammer. It's not even really one tool because people pleasing isn't actually a tool. You're not supposed to please somebody so that they don't abuse you. You're supposed to be able to please your partner because it's something you both do equally for each other that's healthy. Well, and we've talked before that people pleasing is, is a survival mechanism. It's not, like you say, a tool. It's just meant for mere survival, and that's a basic instinct. So if that is the only tool you're equipping yourself with, 
then you are going to suffer from a shattered spirit. And I keep wanting to relate this, and I love your story so much, although it's heartbreaking, to the, the greater world. Because this is the state that we're in to have so many passive, quote-unquote, parents, where people of power are supposed to be in a position to protect, to be role models, to give us tools so that we can do more than just survive. And very similarly to this young or this, um, I don't want to call him a middle-aged man because I'm approaching 30, <laughs> the grief is so big that it stops us from living. We're, we're barely in survival mode at that point. And so then how do we function on a global level, but also on a family level? I think about that quote from Mother Teresa, if you want to do, I'm going to butcher this, but if you want to do good for the world, go home and love your family. If you don't have the tools to do that, how do you come back out into the world and function? Well, it came through in that session that he was actually struggling with other areas in his life. And, and that, that is going to come as no surprise then when you hear that this shatters his spirit. That we struggle at work, we struggle with the friends, we struggle with our spouse, we struggle with our own kids. We struggle with all kinds of our own health, all kinds of other areas in our life. So his dad, two weeks after he passed, wanted to come through to say that because of his own marital PTSD, because of his own situation, how it had affected his son's life. So he wanted to acknowledge it first. That's the first big, big thing, is a complete acknowledgement. He absolutely cried his eyes out. He said it was a relief to just finally hear it. And I want to say something. Not from the therapist saying it and identifying it, which has its own value unto itself when a therapist can do it. I don't mean to diminish the value of that. But there is an entirely different value to this when it's your own dad saying it to you. I didn't protect you. I didn't say no. I didn't tell her to stop. Because you have to remember, this man was a child when these things happened. As children, we need to see our parents take responsibility when another adult is hurting us, particularly when it's another parent. So his dad said, I will be here to acknowledge what I did. And then he gave his apology. Heartfelt. And he sat with his son in silence while his son just sat in the room and cried. This is a man who's waited almost four decades for his dad to even acknowledge what his mom did because during this period of time he stopped talking to his mom he would talk to his dad but try and stay away from his mother he would visit them as a couple but have more conversations with his dad eat his mom's cooking but try to avoid her if she got into confrontation with him he'd have some words with her and then get back into his car and travel back to his home with his family but it was a very difficult relationship with his mom that he said that he'd come to terms with and was just dealing with. And his dad said, no, no, you're not actually. You're in the middle of all of it. You haven't changed. You do not have any different tools. Don't tell me that you're coping with it. When you have new tools and a new way to deal with it than what I taught you for 40 years, then tell me you're dealing with it. So he said to his son, please, by all means, do all of the things I did not do. And may I support you as you go out into your own life 
to set the boundaries and to find all the tools. And I would love to love you through that whole process. It must be quite the feeling to hear your dad finally acknowledge how you've been treated your whole life by a mom who's gotten away with so much because of the amount of crazy feeling that you must get and the confusion that you would get in your mind to think, first of all, how could my mom treat me that way? Or how could she treat my sister or my dad that way? Especially when dad's such a people pleaser and he's trying so hard to make sure that his wife is happy all the time. There would be just tremendous confusion as a kid to look at two parents and to think, how can my dad be such a kind person and my mom be so mean? How can I love her when she hurts my dad all the time? And then for the dad to finally, when he's passed over, say, you had the right to your confusion. It's my fault, not yours. You had the right not to understand something. Yes, it's confusing, son. Yes, it's confusing, my child. This wasn't for you to figure out. It was supposed to be for me to figure out as an adult. It must be very soothing. Or maybe it just brings up a whole bunch of anger at the same time that you feel sad about it. I just think it just must be a whole pile of feelings all at once that you're finally able to feel, but without feeling a restrain or a, a questioning of yourself. Well, and I think there is strain because you're now trying to cope with a dead parent who's trying to love you better than they did as a human. And that's where, again, Susan Forward's book, Toxic Parents, brings up an entire section of the dead parent tools and how to reconcile with your emotions, not the human, obviously, but to come to terms with what was and to understand what does not have to be any longer. The session gave him an opportunity, not just to be in that process, but in that hour, to be able to hear that from his dad and be able to say, well, how come? Why this? Why that? Why didn't you? Why couldn't you? He finally got to ask his dad, those questions. He finally got to put them right to his dad, which interestingly enough, as a human being, when his dad was alive, he didn't bring himself to ask his dad those questions. So there's also that moment of that sadness and anger within himself at himself that he didn't as a grown man in his, in his own late thirties, how come I didn't confront my dad about this? How come I felt so shaky in my relationship with him too? That if I displeased him by asking him these questions, that I couldn't get there either. The son, my client, said that in some way, he finally understood his dad a bit. That he understood that his dad was too scared to confront his wife. And that he understood it just a tiny bit in the sense that he too was afraid to confront his dad. That he too was afraid... That even when he was trying to confront his mom, underneath it all, he was always afraid of the loss. And understanding that the PTSD for his father had lasted for decades. That after all those years, how do you finally or begin at some point to start a confrontation? How do you break a pattern? How do you say you've had enough? if it's been six decades, 
why today would you change it? Which I think was really interesting about the whole PTSD of if you let something persist, how do you finally say that in this moment, this particular day is day one of something different? I think one of the things I learned that day in talking to him and his dad was that one of the things that PTSD does to a person is shut them down, is block them, stop them so that they can't create any new types of behaviors that are healthy. And I don't know to what degree, if you're listening to this, you may have experienced your own PTSD in some way in a classroom in some other relationship, you know, maybe new terms will come out called school PTSD, or educational PTSD, or physician PTSD, from a medical system that traumatizes us over and over again, particularly if we have maybe a medical situation that nobody can figure out. So we're constantly abused over and over again. And we don't know how to say, or how to work a system to say, it's enough and begin something. And I think in these moments, in this session, it made me pause to question myself in my own past, when I should have in any kind of relationship. And I know that it's going to make me feel a little bit more aware in friendships and in all relationships where I need to know that that's a line. You call it a bar. I've often heard you, Kelly, refer to it as, where's your bar? His dad came through to tell him that going forward, he wanted to give him a sign so that if his son was in any kind of relationship where he was experiencing PTSD or where he was the perpetrator creating it so that somebody else was experiencing it in their life, so say his own partner or his own child or somebody he's coaching or whatever in his work environment his dad asked him if he would be open to getting a sign from him and he picked birds he chose to say when this is occurring and you're questioning it doubting it or you're just in your own shit and can't see it for anything would you be willing to take a sign from me to wake you up to call you to your awareness so that you could at least sit there and begin to ask yourself different questions. He cautioned his son that he was a lot like his mom. And that he had some of his own mom's patterns in that he liked to have things his own way, that he would refer to himself as a strong man, or sometimes on occasion, a stubborn man. But that the very words that he would use to describe himself were words that he also would use to describe his mom's abuse. And so his dad was saying, You're along on the same path. You may be four decades a little bit earlier, but you are displaying the same symptoms that your mom displayed early in the marriage. I saw them in her. I know them and I see them in you. And he sat there and flipping had a meltdown and bawled. Here he is upset that his dad lived through all of this and that his dad didn't protect him and his sister from it. And yet he's hearing that he's already begun to do the same thing to his own wife and his own son. That that was a moment that was so mixed up for him, where I saw his tears go from 
sadness to an absolute self-anger to a softer cry of, I don't want this. Does that make any sense? That you can hear all those emotions in a cry? That you can see somebody's facial and body expression change all in two or three minutes in front of you as they go through all those moments of awareness and decision making. And the last cry, the cry of the softness towards oneself, that I am this way, I am hurting. And I think that's really, really important was for him to come to the cry of I am hurting, because then he could understand more that underneath all of the mom's behavior was her silent cry of I am hurting. Everything that you're talking about is about acceptance in some way, shape or form. And it goes right back to psychology, your child psychology, where if you take this right back to when he was a little boy, he's internalizing all of this to be his fault, that he wasn't worth enough or worth being loved or worth having someone stick up for him. And so we think other people's actions are because of us. And you come into adulthood to understand at this point when you're saying that he's crying, that his mother behaved a certain way because of her own pain, not because of him. And going back to the patterns that we just talked about in our Sips of Sanity episodes, what we focus on is what we become. It's what we magnify. And so instead of focusing on the wonderful qualities that he wanted to put in his back pocket as tools, he focused on not becoming that and ultimately became her. You could, you could hear it too at the end once he was leaving the house and he was just chatting in the dining room and through the kitchen and out going out to the front door to get his boots on. You could hear the sadness in regards to not in this case the relationship between him and his mom or him and his dad I heard a shift in his perception of his relationship between him and his siblings I noticed as he started talking about his sisters that things were changing and that he was changing and his 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 chest changed it was just it it, it went from being a hard and really upright and abrupt I'm angry and I'm here to get answers and I don't believe in this shit to a holy crap. Um, this really hit me in the heart center. But, but there was a softness even in the physical form of his body. I think about his muscles. I think about everything that he was holding in those nerves and the bones, everything in his neck area, shoulder blades, his shoulders, everything that his dad was able to give him that day and pointing all these things out. And I want to say that maybe he was ready to hear his dad say, and you are like your mother, because his dad was dead. Imagine if his dad had said that to him when he was alive. He may have just stormed out of the house and never wanted to talk to his parents ever again, instead of hearing it from his dad who had passed. And now because of all the layers of grief and all the layers of regret and all of the emotions that bubble up, now I'm ready to hear it from him. So are we ready to move through those issues that the PTSD creates with the medium because we are more open at that time? Because that is what grieving and a process of grieving healthily does for one person. 
I like that you pointed out all of the muscular issues and tension because, and actually you also pointed out uh, PTSD from the medical community, that we hold our trauma and our stress in our muscles. And so when we seek out health professionals to diagnose us or to find what's going on in our body and they can't see muscle tension on an x-ray or any kind of scan, we're told it's in our head, which further creates the tension and the stress. And we don't understand that a traumatic event that is internalized emotionally is what we're holding on to. And then we get blamed for not getting better. Some of his moments of true PTSD occur when his mom refuses to give him nurturance, refuses to be able to soothe him. She withholds soothing. And I also thought that was fabulous that his dad came through and said, these are some of your key moments where PTSD was created in you. When soothing, loving, nurturance by a key person in your life, when you are a particular age in your life, and those are the only ones around you to give it to you, withhold it from you. And then continue to do that repetitively so that it literally does become a pattern. So when he hurts himself, she refuses to give him attention. When he comes in the door and he's got an A or a B, or maybe it's just a C, maybe he just passed and that was absolutely the best he could do was get a C plus, get his credit and get the hell out of the course. She refuses to give him, good for you, you got your credit, you're going to get your diploma, way to go. It's never enough. Is it fair to say that the PTSD within him creates a sense of never being good enough? And that's one of the things in our personal relationships when we say we get relationship PTSD. Sometimes it's what they withhold, not so much what they actually do. Because I think some people think emotional PTSD and relationship PTSD is the punch in the face. It's the kick. It's the throw them to the floor. It's the rip out their hair and whip them against a wall. We sometimes think if it isn't that, then it isn't PTSD or it really isn't violence. And I I know psychologists will argue this and I know we have to keep repeating this message, but you're hearing from this dad how he comes through for his adult son and says, no, you have PTSD. This is created here in our home. I witnessed it. That is so empowering to hear the witness come forward and speak. You asked if it was fair. I was just going to say it was textbook. Psychological PTSD is not new. We're just exploring new ways of defining it and observing it. Yeah, and I heard in this conversation that the dad first admits to the mom creating PTSD in the relationship in the marriage between her and her husband. And then as the session goes on, you hear how that one person isn't okay or satisfied, I don't know what the right word is, can't stop herself, won't stop herself, won't get the help to do anything different. So then the PTSD goes down into all of the children. So a spouse might think, no, I'm just going to stick here and I'm going to protect the kids. And in that way of me being here and protecting the kids, they don't get the job done. They, they don't realize they can't. And so more people end up with PTSD from the original relationship. 
So what do we want to take away from today as tools then? Because we're talking about marital PTSD. People are probably hearing lots of pieces of themselves in all of these stories. What do we do now? I hope if you're one of the people that has had it done to you, that you hear that it is never too late to get the apology and the acknowledgement from a person. So you might say she'll never change. Nope. Maybe not on earth. But they absolutely change when they die. They absolutely go through processes on the other side where they become aware of what they've done. So perhaps if you need to find a medium to get your closure, to get your acknowledgement, go. Go in, listen. And just like him, he just came in with an open heart and said, what do you get? He didn't direct all of that and say, I have PTSD. My dad did. He just came in because he was hurting. When you say, what can we do? Open your own heart to your own healing. Seek help, meaning if it's to go to a therapist or if it's to see a medium. But don't just go to friends. They're not the right people to be able to give you what you need. They might be able to give something temporarily to you like a good listener. But you need to hear it from the right people. And if other people say they don't believe in a therapist or they don't believe in mediums, let that be their shit. Make sure that you're taking care of yourself and not allowing other people to set the boundaries for you as to where you can get help. And if you're the person who's doing doing it, if you're the person who's creating these situations, maybe you have never heard the term PTSD for what you are creating in your own spouse's or children's lives. And if you don't care enough to get your own help to stop, then just get out. Just leave them be. Maybe the best thing you can do is just get the hell out and leave them be so that even at that, the best effort you can make is to leave them alone. Strong statements, but maybe the healthiest thing you can do if you're not going to get better. Okay, that was heavy. Actually, the whole week was. Um, I still want to encourage you to go back and listen to the Sips of Sanity that we we put out this entire week on breaking patterns. It, they might actually be great tools if you've listened to this show and are wondering, you know, what possible steps you can take no matter which position you're sitting in. It's available on bysarlo.com under podcasts and it's January's episodes. Other than that, though, Karen, I want to thank you for bringing up the topic so that more people are aware of the term and the definition. Well, you hit the nail on the head saying that it that it's very heavy. Uh, and I really debated, you know, Kelly, when you said, like, how are we going to start the year for people to sit down and be able to say, let's bring up an extremely heavy topic and let's throw some options at them. And people are hearing some of the options are pretty black and white today. Well, maybe that's a good way to go forward. Maybe black and white allows us a little bit more healthiness in our lives. Hopefully, too, if you're on the January high of setting resolutions or, or goals this year, that the first step of identifying your patterns, if they're no longer working for you or not contributing to your happiness, then maybe this is just the right time to see it and do something instead of thinking, I'll start in the new year, I'll start after Christmas. A lot of people want to just get through the holidays. And, and now that it's done, choose to begin. 
Well, I think that man walked out of the house beginning. He, he, like I said at the door, Kelly, everything about his physical body and his emotional state had shifted. And that only took one hour. Some people think it's just too much effort. And I wanted to do this to point out that in one hour can change a shit ton of what's happening in our lives in a better way. Wonderful. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at Otherwise, have a wonderful weekend and we will be back with another episode next Saturday.